The scripture today is from Luke, the 10th chapter, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two, denari two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we take these few moments and open your word, Lord, I pray, as I know your word does not go out and return again void, but Lord, I pray, even now, that Lord, you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, till the soil of our hearts so that we may, as James says, receive the implanted word which is able to save our souls. Would you be glorified in these moments together? And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> when I was about eight years old, and it's interesting that I remember the story because I don't remember many things prior to about 12, I'm beginning to just chalk that up to it's okay at this point in my life that I don't remember things uh, that far, uh, far back. But um, nonetheless, this particular story sticks in my mind uh, even to this day over 30 years later. When I was eight years old, I was visiting my grandmother and my grandfather who were living in Houston. And um, every Sunday for as long as I remember... Every Sunday after Sunday morning church, um, my grandmother and my grandfather went at different times. Um, and so uh, they would all go home. She would begin to get uh, lunch ready. And he said, um, do you want to get in the car with me? And we would run to the corner store and uh, the corner grocery store there. And it, it had some groceries, not a ton, but the corner store. And every week, I, as long as I remember, he would buy a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread every week. And so he said, hey, let's go to the corner store. So I jumped in the, his, uh, his Dodge Charger with him, and we went to the, the corner store. 
As we got to the corner store, we're walking through with the basket, you know, and he's getting the milk and the bread and a few other things that he needed for the week. And we were walking by, and he pointed up at the shelf at this large jar about this big, and he said, hey, boy. Now, I will let you know that boy was my name um, because his name was Jeremiah. So as I guess to not confuse himself, he called me, hey, boy. Um, and he called my brother Bull, and I, I don't know if he knew our names, actually. But he said, hey, boy. What do you think about those? And he pointed to a jar, and I don't know if y'all have these here, but we had them there. He pointed to a jar of pickled pig's feet. And he, joined, he pointed that jar and he said, what do you think of those, boy? And I'm certain he was expecting my response to be, you know, or something to that effect. And he wanted to see that. But knowing that I'm with Poppy, that's what I called him. I, I was with Poppy. I, I can't, I can't do that. I'd be manly, right? I, I was like, oh, I love pickled pig's feet. So he grabbed a jar and he put it in the cart and went to the front, paid for it. We got in the car, went home. I didn't think anything of it. We had dinner or we had lunch. Um, and, and, and then as everybody was sitting around, he kind of, he walked out of the room. I didn't think anything of it. We were just sitting there talking. And, and then he comes in, he goes, hey boy, come out in the backyard with me. And I thought, great. We, I mean, we do all kinds of projects together. <laughs> Maybe we're going to do something, right? So I go out there and the, uh, the picnic table that we built, in the middle of it is a roll of, to- uh, of, uh, of paper towels and the jar of pickled pig's feet. And we sit down and he says, well, since you love pickled pig's feet so much, I want to experience the joy of watching you enjoy them. And then he made me eat the entire jar. And at the end of it, he said, now boy, look me in the eye. Now, of course, that was kind of hard because I was trying not to throw up everywhere. And he said, boy, look me in the eye. I looked at him, and as clear as then it is today, he said, if you're going to boast about something, you better make sure you can back it up. My grandfather, my poppy, Jeremiah William Patrick O'Brien, and all of his Irish wisdom was telling me something that I know to be true to this day. Talk is cheap. Actions matter. To put it another way, see, this morning, you may say you have been changed. But the truth is, your actions show whether that's true or not. A heart transformed by the love of God will lead to a truly transformed life. Now, as we jump into this passage, I, it's a story that many of us are familiar with. And, and, and it's, it's a story that, that you probably know some of the details about. What, what happens, though, is that many of us begin... In verse 30, we're familiar with the story as it begins in verse 30. And there was a man walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. We know, we know the story. But even as you heard read just a moment ago, uh, the story begins in verse 25. But even more so, as we look at the context of this passage, it actually starts even earlier than that. Luke wants us to understand something 
about Jesus. And Jesus is teaching his disciples something. In Luke 10, very quickly, Jesus sent his disciples and around 60 others, so 72 followers of Jesus at the time. He sent them out to declare the kingdom of God and he gave them the power to heal and to cast out demons. So they went and they did that. And it happened. It, it, he gave them the power, so it worked. And then as they were on their way, they, they came back. Uh, they came back and they told Jesus, wow, I mean, we went and preached the kingdom. And man, when we healed people, they got healed. And, and when, we, uh, when we cast out demons in your name, they fled. And then Jesus looks at his, the, the 72 and he tells them. While he he's rejoices that that's true, at the same time he says, do not rejoice that the demons flee in my name. Instead, rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. So Jesus turns it on them. They're excited. Jesus, look at this spiritual power we have. And Jesus says, uh, don't concern yourself with that. What you need to be concerned with is whether your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what you need to rejoice over. So Jesus turns it on his head. But then, after speaking with them a little bit, he begins to rejoice. And he says, in verse 21 of chapter 10, In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So who are the little children? That's his disciples, his followers. Um, and, and he tells them, blessed are you. He turns to his disciples privately and says, blessed are you. Because there are a whole lot of prophets and kings who wanted to see what you see and get to hear what you hear. And they didn't. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says, there are those who, are, who know, but look ignorant. And then there are those who think they know, but are actually ignorant. That's why he says to the Father, thank you that you chose to confound the wise of this world. And then turning to the disciples, he says, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it. And hear what you hear and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up. So th th he just kept on going. This is all in one instance. What we learn very quickly is we think that the story of the Good Samaritan is, is almost like it stands alone. But it doesn't. It actually all happened in front of everybody. There was already, when, the, when the 72 returned, there was already a crowd. There were already people there. And Jesus was teaching. Based on the context of Luke 10, I want you to hear this because it's common teaching. It's been around forever. But the story of the Good Samaritan actually really doesn't have much to do with the Good Samaritan. The story of the Good Samaritan is not a passage about moral decisions or choices. The story of the Good Samaritan is not a story about race relations. It is also not a story that admonishes us to simply love other people. The story of the Good Samaritan is given to show a lawyer who stands up and asks a question. A deep deficiency in his own heart and a de deep deficiency in his understanding of eternal life. It's given as a response to a lost man who believed he had everything figured out. It's intended to show a gaping hole in his understanding of who God is, what God requires, and what is needed for him. It reveals a lack of true understanding 
of what it means to inherit eternal life. It should have driven him to say, Oh, Lord, I can't do these things. I've failed and I need to know what to do. But it didn't. And this illustration this morning, the story of the Good Samaritan, it gives us four truths that I want us to hold on to today. And the first one is, we have an impossible standard to keep. An impossible standard to keep. Look at verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up. Stop right there. There's already a crowd around. It's important to understand what's going on here. There's already a crowd around. And not only are they around, but they're sitting. They've been there a little while. Why are they sitting? Well, because in the Middle Eastern, ancient Near East culture, especially among Jewish culture, when a rabbi was teaching, the rabbi stood and the learners sat. But whenever someone was called on to recite something or called on to uh, maybe to, ask, uh, to answer a question or if someone wanted to ask a question, they would stand out of respect for the teacher. So they're all around listening to Jesus teach. And it says that the man who stood up was a lawyer. Now, this is not like, you know, what was he? Was he in trial law? Was he in marriage law? Was he in, was he in uh, constitutional law? What kind of lawyer was he? He wasn't in any of those kinds of law. He was in biblical law. This man, a lawyer, he, you could use the word scribe. That's actually used elsewhere in scripture. What this man was, if you were to use a more accurate term for us today, you would say that this man was an Old Testament theologian. That's what he is. He's an expert in Old Testament law. So he knows the, 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 the Old Testament. He knows the law of God. And it says that this man stands up. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week in an illustration, but it actually comes forth in this one. Um, they're, they're, uh, every now and then, there are these students that want to stand up and say something to prove to the class that they are, in fact, smarter than the teacher. Or to try to catch the teacher somehow where they messed up or they said something wrong. And that's what this man is. So we need to get it in our mind, just like the interaction with Nicodemus. When this man stands up, this is not an innocuous discussion of a guy who genuinely wants to know what it means to have eternal life. Luke tells us, and a lawyer stood up to test Jesus and said. This is not a genuine interaction. This man wants to trip him up. This man wants to cause him problems. Just like in chapter 20, uh, later in the book of Luke, they, they sent spies in order to trip Jesus up. That's what he wants to do. So it says, he stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, hopefully it's not lost on you even in this very moment that this question is flawed from the beginning. It's flawed from the beginning. He said, teacher, that's nice, nice title. Teacher, what must I do to inherit? Well, when you inherit something, you gain it simply based off who you are and who you are specifically in relation to the person you're getting it from. So it has to do with a relationship and not something you have done. But he's flawed in his understanding and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But that's based off what we understand. 
Because Jesus, in all of his wit and wisdom, doesn't answer his question. But instead, Jesus turns to him, and he asks him a question instead. So the man says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, he looks at him and he says, uh, well, what is written to, in the law? How do you read it? So he turns it back on him. Okay, you ask me this question, I'm going to ask you this question. What, what does it say in the law? How do you read it? And so the man responds. He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5, Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. Those are the two things that he's quoting. Right? In this all the law and prophets are bound up. Right? We, we know that. It represents um, half of the Ten Commandments that talk about what it means to honor God. And it represents the other half of the Ten Commandments that, about what it means to live rightly before people. Right? So it's all the law wrapped into one. So you, Jesus says, well, I'm going to ask you a question based off your question. You ask me, what do you need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what does the law say that you're supposed to do? And the man says, well, the law says... I'm supposed to love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, and all my mind. And I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. And we hear that. And we think, man, well, Jesus is going to tell him, no, that's not true. I mean, yes, that's what the law says, but you got to do more. Actually, Jesus doesn't do that at all. In fact, Jesus tells him, you are absolutely correct. There is something that you can do to inherit eternal life. What is it? That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the problem. Look at what he says. Verse 28, Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. In the original language, that is a present tense command. An imperative. It means, you could read this way, you have answered correctly. You're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what I want you to do when you leave this place is I want you to do that perfectly every moment of every day, continually for the rest of your life until you breathe your last breath. You say, well, that sounds like a tall order. It's an extremely tall order. In fact, it's an impossible order order what did jesus say you want to know what you can do to inherit eternal life be perfect and you can earn it be perfect that's what he's telling him you've got to love the lord your god love him how much with all your heart all your soul all your mind all your strength how often all the time when all the time. In what situation? Every situation. In what way? In every way. Can anybody testify that they have loved God with every fiber of their being, every moment of their life? No. Jesus says, you want to know what to do to inherit eternal life? Be perfect in your love for God and your love for other people. And you can earn eternal life. The problem is, is that not only, even if we decided we're going to do it right now until the rest of our life, we've got yesterday to worry about. 
never been perfect. None of us is perfect. So what is Jesus doing? He's answering him with his own question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, my standard's perfection. God's standard is absolute perfection. You do that, you'll live. See, the question this morning is this. Have you loved God with all of your being at all times in every way? And have you loved other people at all times just like you love yourself? The answer is no. None of us have. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seeks after God. We are not perfect. We do not live up to this standard at all. But the issue is that the standard to earn eternal life is perfection. And none of us measure up to that standard. That's what Jesus tells the man. And see, here's the issue this morning. There are some of you in this room, in this very room, who still believe that somehow you can do enough to make yourself right before God. That somehow you are pretty good. You're a, you're a good person. You do mostly the right things. And that may all be absolutely true. In fact, I'm certain it is. But the question is not, are you a pretty good person? Or do you do most everything right? Or do you, you know, kind of love God? Or, or do you most of the time treat other people well? No, those questions aren't true. The question that needs to be pressed on your heart and my heart this morning is, are you perfect? There's some in this room this morning, you have convinced yourself. You say, well, I don't know that I believe. You have convinced yourself that there is something you can do. To be right before God. You really believe that one day you're going to stand before the Lord. He's going to look at you and you're going to say. Well you know I tried to do good things. I tried to read my Bible. I tried to go to church. I tried to do the. I, I, I feel like I was pretty successful in loving my family. And, 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 and in caring for other people. But see when God looks at you. God is not looking for tried or Kind of or partly. God looks at you and he is looking for perfection. And that is the only measure by which you can stand. So not only does Jesus show us that there is an impossible standard. But we also see that it is possible to know the right things and have the wrong heart. It's possible to know the right things and have the wrong heart. See... There are some in this room right now say, man, this is kind of pressing in individually. It should be. I need you to hear me this morning. There are some in this room right now who, like this lawyer, this scribe, this, this man, you're still sitting there in your heart or in your mind, and you are trying to say, yeah, but if you only knew what I do, then you would, this, you would realize that this doesn't apply to me. Well, if, if you knew how good of a person I was, if you knew how good of a child I was, if you knew how good of a parent I was, if you knew how good of a businessman or woman I was, if you knew how good of a student I was, if you knew what blah, 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 whatever situation you may do, you're trying to do the same thing that this man does. So why? 
I mean, maybe that's not what Jesus meant. Well, it's interesting because of the way Jesus responds and the way this man responds. See, Jesus says, well, you're right. So go and do all that and you'll live. And what does Luke say in verse 29? But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself. But now we got a problem. Well, what's the issue? Well, he stood up and he was going to test Jesus. He's going to try to put Jesus in his place and show everybody that Jesus didn't really understand what he was talking about, but he knew what he was talking about. So he stood up to test him. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Maybe you'll say something that's wrong and trip him up. Problem is, he turned it back on me, so I had to answer it. And then he said, you're right. So go be perfect and you'll be fine. And now this man is stuck. He's standing in front of his peers and other people. He's standing in front of Jesus. And you get the picture here. Jesus is standing. He's standing. Everyone else is sitting. This is an awkward moment for him. Jesus has put it back on him. So seeking to justify himself. That means try to prove that he doesn't fail on these two counts. But even in that, he is completely self-righteous. Say, what do you mean he's self-righteous? Well, listen to what he says. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You find something interesting there. When he said what, it, what the law says, how to inherit eternal life, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And seeking to justify himself, he said, who is my neighbor? Do you know by virtue of what he didn't ask about, he's saying something about himself. Let's put it another way. What happened is, Jesus said, you're right. You do need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength all the time in every way. And you also need to love your neighbor as yourself. And the man's looking at him and basically says, oh, I've got the first one nailed. I just need to make sure that we have the same definition of neighbor. Do you notice that? He, he doesn't say, oh, wait, I don't, I don't love God the way I'm supposed to. He's like, oh, I got that one. Uh, what about the neighbor thing? Right? He wants to justify himself. But even in that, what is he saying? Who is my neighbor? And that's important because of the way Jesus answers him in a moment. So when he asks the question, he says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by a chance, uh, now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now you say, man, you went through the parable really quickly. Yeah, it's a parable. Which means it's not actually the point. It is conveying a point. The, 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 the thing we're concerned about in the story is not the actors in the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. What we're concerned about is Jesus and his interaction with this lawyer. That's, what's, that's the context of this passage. So Jesus is using this. Um, and he says that a man, a certain man, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, we've talked about before about Jericho being up. But in this particular instance, going from Jerusalem to Jericho is a 1,000 foot drop. It's, it's a 1,000 foot uh, in elevation drop. So it's a steep grade down a very rocky terrain. And so this man is going down that, and while he is going down, now we don't know if he's a Jew, but it's pretty easy to infer from the passage that he is uh, just because he's coming from Jerusalem. So he probably is a Jew. The odds are pretty great in that favor, but it really doesn't matter either. 
Um, and so it says that as he goes that way, he falls among robbers. And they beat him and they strip him naked. They take all of his stuff and they leave him for dead. So he's laying there completely naked and exposed. Close to death probably. And lo and behold, a priest. A priest comes by. Now you would think, yes, somebody who understands God and the things of God and the worship of God. Man, he's going he's gonna to see this person and he's going to have mercy on him. Because, I mean, he's so knowledgeable in theology and in worship and things of that nature. And yet Jesus says, and a priest came by. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side of the road. He literally went out of his way to get away from that guy. Now, I'll tell you, maybe you've heard sermons, but I've read commentaries, I've listened to sermons. There are times when guys will then go in a 15 to 20 minute discussion on what was going through the priest's head. Oh, he's unclean. Oh, he's all that. Well, here's the thing. If that was important to the parable, Jesus would have said it. It's a parable. He didn't say it because that's not important. What was going through the priest's mind is not important. What the priest did is what's important. Okay? And I was, there's, a, there's a point to it. Not what was going through his mind and not what was in his heart. Why? Because we don't know what's going on in someone's mind. We don't know what's going on in their heart. We can only know what's going on in their heart by how they act. So Jesus is saying what this man did is the issue. What did he do? He's a Levite. I mean, a, a priest. What is he? He's, he is a priest. He goes to God on behalf of the people. He is he's supposed to be holy and, and, and righteous and, and, and ceremonial clean and all these things. And yet he sees that man and he goes around him to get away. But then you think, golly, well, that's terrible. That's what you're supposed to think. That's terrible. Well, then what happens? Then a Levite comes by. And when the Levite comes by, what's a Levite? Well, Levite's not a priest necessarily, but they do help with the worship at the temple, right? And so they're also around the things of God. They understand the things of God. They understand worship and holiness and ritual cleansing and all these other things. And you think, okay, well, maybe that priest was just a fluke, but surely the Levite will stop. And yet Jesus said, the Levite also walked right past him. What was the point? What Jesus is saying, when he says a Levite and when he says a priest, the people hearing him are going to think, especially the lawyer, well, of course, uh, they would stop. But see, they, they don't stop. And what Jesus is showing is that all that they know about God has not changed their heart. All the knowledge, that's why he uses a priest and a Levite, not just random people, but people who really should know. And yet all that they know doesn't change their action. It doesn't change their activity. All the head knowledge in the world won't make you right before God. You could have every book of theology memorized, quote scripture till you're blue in the face. It doesn't matter. That will not make you right before God. You might have all the right answers. But Jesus is saying... If you truly know, then there will be a change in your life. There'll be a change in your actions. Because it's possible to know the right things and have the wrong heart. But then verse 33, the third truth we see from this passage is that actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. We have a, a man who comes along. 
but a Samaritan. Now stop right there, because that's supposed to be like shock jock in your face. They, they, what? Why are you talking about Samaritan? Like, they didn't even like to say the word Samaritan. They hated Samaritans. Jews hated them. They saw them as pagan, filthy idolaters, and they wanted nothing to do with them. And so Jesus says, but a Samaritan. In their mind, they're thinking, but a Samaritan came by and claimed ownership for having robbed him. Like, they, that would have made sense to them. But instead it says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, and pouring oil and wine, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So what does this guy do? Well, it says in verse 33 that a Samaritan came along and he was moved by what? Compassion. And says being moved by compassion. What this man knew changed the way he acted. Jesus' point is not who the Levite was or what the Levite knew. Or who the, uh, the priest was and what the priest knew. His point's not even what the Samaritan knows, except this. Whatever the Samaritan knows also changed what the Samaritan did and the way he acted. So it says he did this. What did he do? He divested himself. It says he clothed him. He stripped his own clothes off and gave him clothing. Not only that, he bathed his wounds with wine and oil. That's expensive. This is not cheap. He, he used his own supplies to, to make sure that this man's wounds were healing. Then he took the man and he put him where? On his own animal, which now means this steep grade, hilly, rocky terrain. The man is on the donkey and the Samaritan is on foot, which is much harder. And then it says, and the next day, which means now, not only is he out the oil and wine not only is he out the clothes not only is he out riding on his own animal but now he's he's used his own time it's it's the next day and what does he do it says he went to the innkeeper and he took out two denarii and he gave them saying take care of him two denarii two denarii is two days wages for a blue collar working guy in this day and age which means that what he did was he handed him money and said here is anywhere between two weeks and a month's stay at this inn, and if he needs to stay longer, when I come back through, I'll bring you the rest of the money. That is a massive amount of money. He doesn't know him from Adam, and yet he did what he could to take care of him. Literally, he just said, I'm giving you a blank check. Just take care of this guy, and I'll, I'll settle up when I get back. This is extravagant. Extravagant. And he doesn't know this guy. So Jesus says in verse 36, he asked him a question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Proved. It's about the action, not about the words. It's about the action, not about the belief. See, here's the thing. The Samaritan had a different heart than the Levite and the priest. The Samaritan had a changed heart. Apparently, whatever the Levite and whatever the priest knew was only in their heads. It did not change the way they acted. And see, this is where we have to ask ourselves, is your life different? Is your life different this morning? 
Have you been changed? See, truly turning to Christ in faith means three things, actually. It means three things. If you were here on Wednesday, you heard this, so just bear with me. But it means three things. The first one is this. If you're going to turn to Christ in faith, it means believing he did what he said he did. That's what it means. Believing he did what he said he did. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. I delivered to you of first importance that which I also received, that Jesus Christ died on the cross according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised again according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by the 12 and then by the 500 and by Paul himself. So, so he says that's, that's the gospel. That's what Jesus did. He died, he was buried, he rose again. Okay? So trusting and believing in Jesus Christ you got to believe that he did what he said he did. But you also have to believe that he will do what he says he will do. Whether it's Acts 16, Acts 13, or John 6, 37, the scripture very clearly says that if you will believe, you will be saved you got to trust that Jesus is going to do what he said he would do. So, so first got to believe he did what he said he did. Death, burial, resurrection. You also got to believe that he will do what he said he will do. Which is if you will turn to him, he will save you. And both of those things are important. But I want you to hear something. Did you know that you can believe both of those things and still spend eternity in hell? Because there's a third aspect of faith that is required according to Scripture. Not only do you need to know and believe he did what he said he did. And not only do you need to know and believe that he will do what he said he would do. But third, you need to know and believe that he is who he says he is. So where do you get that? Well, Romans chapter 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So there's an aspect of faith that's not just knowing about Jesus. There's a moment. See, because you can know everything Jesus did and believe he did it. And you can know everything Jesus says he was going to do and believe it. But then in the last one, you may not have done that yet. You say, well, how, do, how will you say that? How do you say it's possible to do the first two or to understand and believe and know the first two and not be saved? Well, James chapter 2 verse 9 or verse 19, excuse me. Verse 19 says, you believe those things, you do well. Even the, belie- the demons believe that, and they tremble. Let's put it another way. Do you think Satan knows that Jesus died on the cross? Of course he does. Do you think Satan knows that Jesus was buried? Of course he does. Do you think Satan knows to his disappointment that Jesus rose from the grave? Of course he does. Do you believe and know that Satan knows that Jesus is willing and able to forgive you of your sins and grant you eternal life if you trust in him? Do you think Satan knows that? Of course he does. That's why he fights against it. He knows those two things. The third thing is the issue that he and his demons have a problem with. They believe Jesus did what he said he did. And they believe that Jesus will do what he said he would do. What they don't believe or what they don't trust in, what they don't submit to, is that Jesus is who he says he is. They know he's Lord, they just don't want to submit to it. 
That's why they know all that, but they still will spend eternity in hell. See, it is possible for you to know about and even trust in all the things Jesus did and know about and even trust in all the things that Jesus said he would do. But then at that last moment, you say, you know what, though? I like living for Jeremy. I like doing what Jeremy wants to do. I like living according to Jeremy's wisdom because Jeremy understands and Jeremy knows what's going on. There's got to be a moment, which I came to, where I realized Jeremy knows nothing and has no ability to make himself right before God. I have no ability to make myself right before God, and neither do you. See, the priest and the Levite, they knew all those truths, but it didn't change what they did because they didn't submit to those truths. But the Samaritan was different. And Jesus is looking at this man, this lawyer, and he's saying, and what you need to hear this morning is this, believing the first two things may change what you know. But believing the third one will change who you are. And in this story and in eternity, yes, it's important that you know the right things. But ultimately, when you stand before the Lord, you don't need to know the right things. You need to know the right person. See, actions speak louder than words. Now, Jesus ends it and says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Verse 37 shows us our fourth and final truth, that we are entirely dependent upon God's grace. He said, the lawyer, the one who showed him mercy. Did you notice that? Has this lawyer, this scribe, this theologian, has his heart been changed? To love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love his neighbor as himself? No. Say, how do you know that? Because he can't even bring himself to say, the Samaritan. It's like it's a vile word. He can't even, the the thought of that. He can't do it. So what does he say? Which one of these proved to be a neighbor? He says, the one who showed him mercy. Because he just can't bring himself to say it. You notice something too? You probably did notice it. Jesus turned the question on his head. The man asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus turned it around and basically said, are you a good neighbor? He said, which one should I identify so I know I need to love him? Jesus said, not who is your neighbor, but what kind of neighbor are you to everyone else? What was Jesus' answer? Everybody's your neighbor. The issue is not who's your neighbor. The issue is what kind of neighbor are you going to be to them? So he turns it on him. And he says, which one showed him that? He said, the one who shows mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Say, ah, it's a good, good teaching. No, you notice that the next verse says, now as they went on their way. Why? Because this is, this is not Jesus saying something kind. This is, I mean, I don't know any other way to say it, but it resonates this way. This is like Jesus saying, so which one of them, he's holding his microphone, which one of them showed this man, which one of these proved to be his neighbor? And the guy said, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus leaned back and said, right, so you, You go, and you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
and you love your neighbor as yourself every moment of every day, because the word again is in present tense, do it continually for the rest of your life, you go and you do that perfectly forever. Boom. And he dropped the mic. That's what Jesus did. That's why it ends so abruptly. It was, it was a, it's just as much a rebuke as anything else. Jesus is saying, you have no idea what you are talking about. That's what this entire conversation is. Jesus is looking at him to show this man and to show us this morning that inheriting eternal life requires absolute perfection and none of us lives up to that. It requires absolute perfection. You say, like I said earlier, what, what if I start right now and just do it perfectly for the rest of my life? The problem you have is the same problem I have. What about yesterday? Perfection is perfection, which means from the beginning of your life until the end. And there is only one person who ever lived a perfect life. So what does that mean? That means God's standard for earning salvation is impossible for us to keep. So what are we dependent on? His grace. We need his grace to change us. See, again, you might be here this morning thinking, what? Okay, so you said all that. What do I need to do? It's, it's amazing to me. There, you, you may be in this room. You're still wrestling with that. What do I need to do? But I can do this. Well, what if I do? Well, what if I'm good enough to? Well, what if I treat my? What if I do? Every single thing you say is about what you do. And if you're going to trust in Jesus Christ, not only believing that he did what he said he did, and not only believing that he will do what he said he would do, but also believing that he is Lord. And that means taking yourself and saying, not only do I believe the things I'm supposed to believe, but now I'm taking my life and I am putting it in Jesus's hands and saying, now on. I was going to do that and old me would have done that but because of Jesus I'm going to do this and old me would have said that but now I'm going to say this or in my case old me would have said that and now I'm just not going to say anything it's just this change it's a change why because now I am no longer Lord of my life Jesus is Lord of my life and that's the change that's the grace that we need. You can't do anything. You just have to lay yourself down at the feet of God and say, in, I need your son, Jesus Christ, to save me. I believe what I'm supposed to believe. I know what I'm supposed to know. But now I need to know Jesus. What's the difference? Well, here's the thing. I know many, if not a lot of, the stats for, uh, uh, of Troy Aikman... And Nolan Ryan. I know their stats. I know a whole lot about them. But I have never met either one of them. Ever. So I know a lot about them. But I don't know them. And see there's a whole lot of people in the church today. Not just Eastwood. In the church today. But there's probably someone in this room. You know a good amount about Jesus. But you have never taken your life and put, him in, put it in his hands. So you know a lot about Jesus, but you don't actually know Jesus. What does the story of this Good Samaritan show us? It's that you can say you know Jesus. But if it doesn't change the way you live, if it doesn't change the way you act, then it's not really true. So the question I have for you this morning, 
Are you sitting there like that lawyer? Seeking to justify yourself. And saying, but I think I'm good enough. When I stand before the Lord one day, when I stand before the Lord one day, I, I'm, I'm going to say, you know, look, I, I tried to be good enough. Can I tell you this? And I, I, With the most sincerity that I have in my heart for each person in this room, you are going to stand before God one day. And when you stand before God, He is looking for one thing. Perfection. And none of us can measure up to that. But just like Jesus told his disciples, don't rejoice that you have power. Instead, rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. See, when I stand before the Lord one day, what is he looking at from me? Perfection. Can I measure up? No, I can't. But Jesus can. And the scripture says that because of what he did for me, it has nothing to do with what I do. It has everything to do with what he did for me. And when I stand before the Lord, he's going to see perfection. Why? Because in all of my flaws and in all of my brokenness, in his grace, Jesus has given me his righteousness. And when God looks at me, he will see Jesus' righteousness and not my failures. And see, there are so many who believe that they're going to stand before the Lord one day and declare their own righteousness. And guess what? It will never measure up. God's looking for perfection. And that's only found in Jesus Christ. And you must turn 